You guys ready to continue? Oh, man, my pages keep coming out. Here's some super glue. Oh, man. All right, that's okay. You guys ready to get into the Word of God? Oh, come on. I know y'all was yelling louder than that when that Clemson game was on. You guys ready to get into the Word of God? Good, good. We believe in keeping it real in here, right, Laura? Yeah, yeah. Good, good. I, I, sent out a, I sent out a Facebook message. I ain't taking it easy on nobody. If you can go watch the ball, right, uh, ball drop, you can come worship the sun that rose, right? Huh? Where they at? Where's, I was wondering what was going to win out, New Year's resolutions or the cold rain? Huh? Hey, but you guys are here. You guys are here. Praise God. We're going to get our worship on and continue it. Amen? I got a word from God this morning. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to get back into our Galatians uh, uh, trip here that we're going through the book of Galatians and studying what Paul uh, wrote for us to understand through this book. And, and I think that we've hit it hard, hard, hard. Now, we've, take a few we- we've, took- we've taken a few weeks off because of Christmas and New Year's and doing all of those celebrations, and that's good. That's fine. That's all, that's all good and wonderful, but I'm glad to get back to the Word of God and to open it up and to uh, finish up chapter 4 is what we're going to be in today, chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, 10 verses, and uh, it's amazing how God lines things up. Uh, I didn't, I don't usually talk over all of the songs with Wesley, I just kind of let the Holy Spirit lead him, and I try to let the Holy Spirit lead me, and, and what God would have uh, for us to share with you and our particular gifts and abilities and but today, it's just absolutely amazing how God lined the, the songs uh, and the worship up with the Word of God. I just want to read through uh, my points with you today. I've got some points for you. They're going to be on the screen. I want you to be able to grasp this uh, uh, pretty good and write it down so that you can kind of hold on to this because it'll. I think it'll be very applicable and usable in your life. But just listen to these and remember that song we just sang uh, the title of today's message is, Things Aren't Always What They Seem to Be. The first point is, God seemed slow to keep his promise. The second is, God seemed unable to keep his promise. The third point I've got is, is that God waits for the moment of impossibility so that all men might know he is the God of endless possibilities. And then the last thing is, which just was amazing, is when the promises seem frail, Remember, God never fails. So I think God's trying to show us something this morning as we unpack uh, as much as we can, Galatians 4, 21 through 31. I think he's got a specific word for you and a specific word for me about the promises of God and how we can trust him. And when it seems as if dark days are upon us, remember the light's always shining. Isn't that amazing? Don't we serve a big God? And so this morning, before we open up the scriptures and before we <clears throat> get into the word of God, I want to pray and ask the Lord to bless uh, every moment and every word that comes out of my mouth and that we spend together. Lord Jesus, we lift up the name of Christ. We want to honor and glorify you, Lord. We want to honor and glorify you today, tomorrow, and forever with every ounce of our being, with every breath that's in our lungs. Sometimes it gets hard, God, because the days are long and we are stuck here on this side. I know when you prayed for us, you, you knew and understood that because you say, I'm going away, God. I'm going away, Father, but they're going to be here. But Lord, I pray that you would hold them and keep them. And that's what I pray today, God, that you would hold and keep us in Jesus Christ and in the word of God, that you would help us to understand that there is nothing in this world that can come against us, that could overcome us, because you have already won. There is left no battle to be won. The battle is over. It is finished. I pray, God, that we would walk and move and live and breathe in that truth, God, that your promises are not only, they're not only trustworthy, but they're done. God, you've already done it. We're just waiting for the completion in our particular lives. And so, God, as we get into your word, I pray, Lord, that it would be real to us and not just some loud guy up in front of us talking, but I pray that the word of God would go all the way down, that we would take it all the way in, and that it would be bitter for a moment as it sheds light on the areas that we need to change, but then it would be sweet as honey on our lips and on our tongue, knowing that it is good for us, God. 
Help us, Lord. We are just human beings. I'm a man. I've got sin in my life, but I don't come based on my own righteousness, but on yours, and I'm going to strictly preach your word to the best of my ability. And I pray that anything that comes that is not accurate, that you would hide it, that you would hide it, and that you would not let it, that you would not let it sway your people. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand as we read the word of God out of respect for his word. <clears throat> We're going to read Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. And then we'll unpack it. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are, in, who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as, the, just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you, Clyde, for this water. Now, there is so much in this passage here uh, that I could just preach. I could literally preach probably two months on this, on this passage right here. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to I'm, you've already got the message that this is portraying several different times. This is actually another way for Paul to reiterate or to reestablish or to confirm what he's already told us about the Word of God, about uh, the children of God, and about the means by which a person is justified from their sin. Uh, we have said in here time and time again that the law has no place in the conversation about justification. Now, those may seem like big words to you, especially if you're new here, but the basic principle is this, is that when it comes to being justified before God or being washed clean of our sins and able to have a relationship with God, works has no part in that conversation. It has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Now, we, we, we will and need to have a conversation about works and about law on down the road in our Christian uh, walk and in our conversion. Uh, that's called sanctification, and we'll, it'll have a little bit of a place there. But when it comes to being saved, when it comes to being uh, justified, the law has no part in it whatsoever. It's not even to be mentioned in that conversation. Does that, does, does, you remember that conversation that we had. So Paul here reestablishes and confirms that what he's been teaching the whole time is that there is a huge distinction and there's a, uh, there is a, uh, a disconnect between works of the law and, uh, and, and the works of grace or the covenant of law and the covenant of grace, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. He's saying that you cannot work your way into a relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you try to work your way into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it only serves to condemn you more. Because what is the law for? It is for showing us our unworthiness and our sinfulness. So the more we try to line up with the law in order to have a relationship with Christ, the more unworthy we realize we are. So the law, apart from grace, only serves to condemn, okay? Now, I'm not going to do any more there. We need to move on from this. But what Paul does here is, is that he takes a look back to the Old Testament, and he pulls out a story. As a matter of fact, he's already uh, alluded to this same story in this book already. Now, when I say that I could preach on this for hours and hours and hours and hours, I really mean that because there's so many different avenues. Not that there's a bunch of different meanings to the text, 
but that there's so many facets to this text, and, and just like this, and I'm going to have a side note right here, and I think I'll just go ahead and do the side note now. That's what I'm, I'm feeling like, is that when you're reading the text, especially in the New Testament, you need to understand that the New Testament is built upon the foundations that were set in the Old Testament. Many people don't realize, and they think that we just need to cast the Old Testament to the side, and it's not important anymore. But the problem is, is that the writers of the New Testament, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, uh, Peter, any of these other guys, when they are writing to their prospective audience, when they are writing to the people that they are writing to, and they're trying to convey a specific message to a specific audience in a specific time, and we need to understand what that message is. Well, when the writer is alluding to something that everyone would have been familiar with, and even the Gentiles apparently were fairly familiar with the Old Testament laws and rituals, especially the Gentile believers that had come to know Christ and been influenced then by Hebrew scholars and Hebrew teachers and Jewish teachers that were trying to lead them back to this Old Testament ritualistic system. When the writers of the New Testament were writing, they were writing that alluding all the time to the Old Testament. So it would be like if I was going to talk to, to Brandon Provo, if I was going to talk to him and I wanted to make an illustration from our time in the fire department together. Well, if I was saying, you know, it's just like when we were in that fire that one time, we had to kick in the door and it was so adrenaline, but you run in and you can't see anything. It was like that. That's how blind I felt. Well, a lot of you might say, well, I've never been in a burning building before. I've never felt the heat. I've never, and, and this, I actually pulled that from the fire down at Caps Brothers. When we went in that house, the smoke was so thick that you literally, like, I could not see anything. Man, that was awesome effect. That was unintentional. Yes. I did not know I could do that. Luke, I am your father. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> squirrel no but but see he would understand what i was talking about of how blinding it is and the only comfort that i had in that fire was knowing that he was there or my hose was there and i could follow that hose back out well my whole point is is that unless you have a little bit of understanding about the backdrop of what i'm talking about and a little bit of context you're going to say, you might make your own meaning, or you might just develop something out of the air. But Paul is saying, no, you need to understand this Old Testament scripture. You need to understand some of these rules and regulations and, and all of these stories and things like that so that you can rightly understand what I'm saying now. And so I want to make a little side note here that we need to understand the Old Testament so that we can rightly understand the New Testament. And then when we rightly understand the New Testament, then we can look back and get even, an even deeper understanding of the Old Testament. Isn't it beautiful how that works? Because Old Testament uh, scriptures are the foundation on which the New Testament and the New Covenant was built and upon which Jesus Christ came. But when Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled all of the Old Testament scriptures and, and, and writings and foundations that were uh, written about him and about life. And when he did that, he cast a, a new understanding, a greater understanding onto the Old Testament. So we need to understand the illusions coming in of redemptive history coming into Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus Christ fulfills, we look back through the lens of Christ and we rightly understand and interpret the Old Testament. Now, this is called uh, allegorical understanding, or some people call it a spiritualization of the Old Testament. I'm not for just spiritualizing the Old Testament, okay? Now, this is above some of your heads. I'm not, I don't mean to do this to all of you, but for a few of you who care about this stuff, when you want to understand and interpret the New Testament rightly, you must understand the Old Testament, but you, and you, you, you can apply New Testament teachings to Old Testament uh, foundations and, and scriptures, but you must be careful. This is what I mean for those of you who are like, what is this guy talking about? What some people do that can be dangerous. See, Paul uses an allegory here. And an allegory, if you don't know what an allegory is, is when you say, well, that over there was like this right here. 
Well, that over there represented this over here. So it's a, it's a representation. It's a past representation of what currently is. And so that's why Paul can look back and say, you see, Hagar, she was actually representing the covenant on Mount Sinai. And Sarah, she was actually representing the covenant of grace brought in by Jesus Christ. And so we can look and say, well, the greater meaning of the Hagar and Sarah story is, and lay it out. Well, a lot of people take that to the extreme. And they want to super-spiritualize everything in the Old Testament so that the Old Testament completely loses all meaning. And then they what? They can decide what the meaning is, and it can be whatever they want it to be. You see the danger? When we get into the book of Revelation, you'll see the danger. Because the book of Revelation is built almost entirely on the Old Testament. And if you don't have a proper understanding of the Old Testament, you will get into some fanciful, ridiculous, crazy teachings that come out of Revelation that have nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever. Paul alludes here to the Old Testament, and he says, look, this is how, so here's the, here's the key, and I'm gonna, I got to move on from this. When we're, when we're interpreting the scriptures, we maintain integrity to the biblical text, and if we want to look back to the Old Testament, say, well, this is actually pointing to this, and this is a foreshadow of this, we better have great biblical evidence of why we're doing so. You can't just say, oh, well, this was this, this was that, and this was this, this was that. So be careful, okay? That's for all of you geeks in the room, all right? Now, moving on, moving on to the real people. All right. That was a joke, okay? All right, moving on. Here is the title of the, of, of the message, and what I want for you to get out of this, and what I feel like God is trying to show us through this, that things aren't always what they seem to be. Things aren't always what they seem to be. This is the title of the sermon, and what I want to do is, you can flip back with me or I'll read it uh, for you, is Genesis chapter 16 through 16, 1 through all of 18, 19. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously, but I want you to flip your Bibles open there because we're going to move around there just a little bit. As we read through the text in Galatians chapter 4, <clears throat> we need to understand the Old Testament story, right? How in the world are we going to understand what Paul says here if we don't understand what he's talking about? So Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to reach back to a story in the Old Testament that is found, uh, is spread out there between Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 18 of the story of Hagar and Sarah. Now, I wish I just had time to go in this story because this is a crazy story. How many of you men think your women are crazy? You crazy if you just raised your hand. Gotcha. Huh? You can thank me for that one later. Now, but Abraham was a really weird guy. He was a, he was a really, at times, a really stupid guy. And I can say that because I'm really stupid at times too, right? Even though he is the patriarch, he is just really not smart sometimes. Like, you know, that time when he went uh, into uh, this land and, and the king of that land, he was wanting to sleep with Abraham's wife. Well, Abraham was a little scared of the guy and he didn't want to offend him. So he said that his wife was his sister. And so the guy's like, all right, then I can sleep with her, right? And so he brings the sister into his chain, or, or Sarah, who was actually Abraham's wife, he brings Sarah into the chambers. The guy's like, you better not sleep with her. That's Abraham's wife, and I'll kill you. So the guy goes back to Abraham. He's like, why would you tell me she was your wife? You're trying to set me up. You see how cowardly he was. And there's often times like that. Well, this is kind of one of those stories. If you turn back to Genesis chapter 16, we see that uh, uh, this whole promise deal that was with, made with Abraham, God said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You're going to have a, a son, and, and this son is going to become a, a, a multitude greater than the, the grains of sand on the seashore. But there was a problem. God was slow in his promise, seemingly, and it seemed as if God, this is the first point, God seemed slow to keep his promise. God seemed slow to keep his promise. So we read here in Genesis chapter, sorry if I'm a little excited, this is just a good story, I love it. Genesis chapter 16 says, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarah said to Abram, this is before their names changed, 
Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain by her, uh, obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. What a stupid man. So this is equivalent to your wife being like, listen, I'd really like to have a baby. I can't. Could you go sleep with her? That's a setup from day one. You, you say, you reading that into the text. Let me show you the setup. <clears throat> and he went into Hagar. This is, four, this is verse 4. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, meaning Sarai. And Sarai, remember, she was the one that told Abraham to do this nonsense, right? And that just goes to show you that, that Abraham was just like Adam, and he listened to the voice of his wife, and he didn't listen to the voice of God, and the roles got reversed and flip-flopped around, and the man didn't leave the household, and the woman led him astray, and he submitted to her, and this is what happened. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord's judge between, me, between you and me. Abraham, Abram said to her, behold, your servant is in your power. You do as you please. He said, you're the one that told me to do that. You see, we cannot listen to the voices that are around us. We must listen to the voice of God. And God had told Abraham that it was going to be a certain way. But what was Abraham? Impatient and stupid. Just like me and just like you. And his wife was impatient and she was stupid. People do stupid things all the time, don't they? We get so, we get so stressed out and we get so worried and we get so we get to the, to the degree of untrust that we don't trust God, we don't believe God, so we just say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. You see, God seems slow to keep his promises. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, listen to this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. God had promised Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation, but here Abraham says, Yeah, you said these things, God, but your promises have failed. Here I sit, no child, no son, and just a servant that works around my house is going to get everything on because you failed in your promises. You failed in your promises. God seems slow to keep his promise. God seems slow to keep his promise. In Genesis 16, 1 through 2, what the, the verses that we just read, we won't read them again, but we see that Sarah failed on the prom She failed to trust God too, and she thought that the, the, the promises of God had failed. She gave up. That's why she made her own plan. How many of you, you, you you've heard from the Lord? Yeah, and it's unmistakable. I was talking to Robert this morning. You know what the Lord's calling you to do. You may try to cover it up. You may try to, you may try to pile something up on it so you can't see it, but you know what God's calling you to do. You know what he's calling you to do. You know he's calling you to dedicate yourself to him. You know he's calling you to get busy for the kingdom. You know he's calling you to lay down that sin that you've been, uh, that you've been toying with and playing with forever now. You know what he's calling you to. You know he's calling you to greatness. You know, I don't have to tell anybody in the room, you know that if you would lay down your own selfish desires, your selfish ambitions, and the things that you like that you know are taking you away from God, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you would lay those things down, that God would richly bless you in greater ways than you could ever imagine. But you are so untrusting of God that you continue to go back to these things thinking that in them you'll find happiness. Why? Because God, because God does things in his time and not your time. You want it now. I want it now. That's what you're doing. Everybody do it with me. I want it now. No, I mean everybody. If I'm going to be up here looking crazy, y'all going to look at it with me, all right? On three. One, two, three. I want it now. That's what we're doing. 
You felt silly right now? That's what you do every day. That's what I do. We need to put that aside, and we need to trust that God's going to do in his time what he said he would do. Amen? God seems slow in keeping his promise. God seems slow in, in keeping his promise, but he's not slow. You know another thing that seems to be happening? God seems to be unable to keep his promises. God seems to be unable to keep his promises. You see, in the story of Hagar and Sarah, we see them laughing at God. As a matter of fact, you always hear about Sarah laughing at God, but you often don't realize, or, or it's not often said, that, that, that Abraham actually laughed at God as well. Abraham laughed at God in Genesis chapter 17, 17. It says this, it says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? A hundred years old. And he was 85 when he had Ishmael through Hagar. Can you, is this not weird to anybody else? I mean, I want you to go back with me for just a second. I know we, we, we need to get on because of time, but I want you to just think back. You got this 85-year-old man. He's supposed to be wise. Aren't old people wise? Right, Mark? Right? Posted. This 85-year-old man and his, and his 80, roughly 80-year-old wife's like, hey, why don't you go be with my servant? Okay, honey. I got, I'll get that for you. This is just not crazy. This is crazy. I won't go where I was going to go. <laughs> but this is crazy, right? This whole story. Like God does crazy stuff. You think, well, God seems slow on his promise, and God seems unable to keep his promise. Do you not think the God of the universe is warning you to think that so that he can demonstrate his power? If you thought it was easy for God, you wouldn't think much of him. You say, well, I could have done that. That's why when you see these strongman competitions on TV, like I think I'm fairly strong. There's some strong guys in here, right? I go to the gym. Some of these guys go to the gym. And I might, I might tend to think, you know, I might tend to be cocky, you know, walking around. What's up? How you doing? And Wesley up here, he's all the time like doing these hands motions. I'm, wor I'm worshiping them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding with you. I'm just kidding with you. Don't take that to heart. I'm just kidding. No, no. Your muscles look good. Right? I'm just kidding with you. I'm just kidding with you. But, but here was my whole point. Here was my whole point. When you watch the strongman competitions on TV, you'd be like, yeah, I ain't that strong. I'm just a wee little man. Because these dudes be picking up these stones, you know, these boulders. Now, some of them got bellies. And it, don't, it makes me feel better about my belly. You can be strong and have a belly. But when you see a power, when you think, you know, some of us might think we're strong because we go to the gym or whatever, but when you see a man walk by, like if you walk around like this and a, like a diesel guy walks by, you know, like there's some guys around here, you know, in the gym. I hate it when those guys come in the gym. Stinks. You know, I was, in, I was looking in the mirror doing curls. I don't really do that. I was just kidding. But when I'm, in, when I'm, when I'm doing my curls looking in the mirror, you know, and uh, Chad Arlen, Chad, and here he goes over to Fairview. But when that dude walks in, I'm like, I, I turn around and start doing my curls. Because <laughs> that dude, he's just huge. Well, God is oftentimes, he's waiting. He's, he's waiting. He's waiting till it seems impossible so that we'll know just how powerful he is. Amen. So you can take comfort in that because it, when it seems like it's a million miles away, when it seems hopeless, know that you're on the brink. You're on the brink of a breakthrough. You're on the brink of a fulfilled promise because it's just about time. When it seems hopeless, that's when hope appears. Amen? Come on, that's better than just that, what I just heard. That's good. That's the promises of God. If I was to sing a hymn, I'd be like, standing. Y'all don't know that one? Embarrass myself for no reason. Well, we see that not only did not only did Abraham laugh, but Sarah laughed as well. As a matter of fact, do you know what Isaac's name means? Isaac's name means because you laughed. It means laughter. Their, their child's name was laughter because you laughed. God is the king of irony. He's the king of irony. 
You see, his promise seemed laughable because of their weakness. So going back, <clears throat> Abraham says, oh, okay. He falls on his face and laughs. He's like, oh, okay, God. I'm going to bear children. I'm going to get my wife pregnant, and I'm 100 years old. 100 years old. Some of you 50-year-olds are like, nah, that ain't happening. You know, I'm 100 now, and my wife, this is what one part of the text says. It says, my wife's as good as dead. Don't ever say that to your wife, by the way. But then again, she had said, go sleep with my servant. We just got a jacked up couple here. Aren't you glad that you serve a God that works through people like this? You see, we can do anything. Amen. We look through the scriptures and we see all these testimonies of jacked up people doing extraordinary things. You know why? God wants to use the weak to expose the strong. God's going to do an amazing thing through you this, this year. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now. So God seemed unable to keep his promises. It seemed as if it, it, it was impossible. But I want you to see what, what God responded. I want you to see what God responded in, in Genesis chapter 18 uh, in verse uh, chapter 18 and verse uh, 14. <clears throat> Go back to 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the tetragrammaton. That, that Lord is all capital letters, and that is Yahweh. He says, is anything too hard for the great I am? I do as I please. I do as I please. So we see that God is saying that you think that this is impossible, but nothing is impossible for me. So we flip back over to Galatians, and we read a little bit here. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born, according, was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slaves. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she, is for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written. And he's going to quote from the Old Testament. Now, this quote right here uh, out of the Hagar story is out of Genesis chapter 16 through uh, Genesis 8. Genesis 18, but when he gets down here to verse 27, he's going to quote out of Isaiah 54.1, and we're going to flip over there in just a second. But when we look at these promises, and he says, now I want you to realize, Paul is saying, when you read that Old Testament story, and I wish we had time just to read through the whole Old Testament story, go home and read that. When you read through that Old Testament story, there is good historical contextual meaning, meaning that when, you read that when you read that story in the Old Testament, there are real facts in real history that you can really learn. He says, but even another layer to that or a greater meaning to that or a greater understanding to that is this distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant. There was one thing that this was teaching in that there was a redemptive history going on with Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and then there was a servant. She had one child, but there was born another child, and it seemed as if uh, all the promises of God were not going to happen because Ishmael was born, what, in, a, in an adult adulterous relationship. It was born by flesh. It says the text there in Galatians, you see what it says? It says here that it says, uh, now uh, this may back up to 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. What does that mean? It means that this aspect of life came out of a, a fleshly determination, a fleshly scheme, a fleshly will. He had said that they had said, we want the promises of God to be fulfilled, but God can't do it, so we will. What is this? What is this? It's works-based righteousness. It's what Paul's been saying the whole time. You say, what does this have to do with me? Well, how many times do you get wrapped up in the same thing and you say, God, I just don't feel your peace, so I'm going to work really hard. This is the New Year's resolution. I've not felt much peace in 2016, so I'm going to get my P's and Q's in order. I'm going to cross every T and dot every I, and this year I'll have peace, doggone it. God is the giver of peace. 
and you will have nothing that isn't given to you by God himself. Your best bet is to humble yourself before God and stand on the promises. Not to say that your behavior and your obedience won't grow. Praise God if it does. But if you think you're going to do it your way in order to twist God's arm in doing what he said he was going to do anyway, you're, you're sorely mistaken. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Well, we move on, and, and, and what we see here uh, in Galatians is that uh, he was born, that, that uh, Ishmael was born according to the flesh, and, and actually we can go and we can see this whole distinction through the bloodlines of, of the text says that um, Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man, and he'll fight with everybody around him. He'll be destructive, and he can't get along with anybody. There's unrest. There's, 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 there's no peace. There's no harmony. And so, therefore, when you, when you are operating under the flesh, and we can do this religiously. Remember, this is the, whole, this is the Old Testament system. This is the Jewish believers. This is the ritualistic system. This is religion. We're not talking about this whole scheme is not talking about dope heads and potheads who, 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 who were lost and wandered away. This isn't talking about the nation surrounding them that didn't have any idea about who God was. We are talking about people who had received the promises of God. We are talking about people who were instructed in the ways of righteousness. We are talking about people who were in the church, so to speak. So to speak, they were fleshly. On the outside, they looked like they had it all together. On the outside, they looked like they were Jews. On the outside, they looked like they knew what they were doing. But in the end, we know, we know that they were, in Ishmael's line, done according to the flesh, that they were not children of the promise, but they were slaves. They were slaves. You see this, this nail that Paul's been driving, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. It seemed as if all hope was lost because uh, Ishmael uh, had been born and he still didn't have a child and, and all, of this, all of this stuff was going on and it, and it seemed as if all hope was lost, but you know that God is waiting for that opportune time and that last, one of those last points, the, the one more after this, but I've got this written down for you and I want you to write it down. God waits for the moment. God waits for the moment of impossibility so that all men might know he is the God of endless possibilities. We see this theme over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, look at the story of Noah. It never rained, and this man is building a ginormous boat. He was an idiot, according to everyone around him. Who builds a boat in the middle of the desert? Right? Right? Think about Moses. I mean, can you imagine? He, he walks up to Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men, maybe the most powerful man in the world, and says, let my people go. Or what? Well, these bugs are going to come eat everything. Uh, frogs. There's going to be lots of frogs. You better let them go or I'm, I'm gonna, there's frogs going to come. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. I mean, look at uh, the story, um, oh man, the story of, uh, oh no, don't do that. Oh, the name just slipped up. Gideon. Gideon, who had like 30,000 men, right? And he was about to go to war. He was going to win the war, and God's like, oh, hold on a second. That's too many men. It'd be too easy for you. We've got to cut these guys down some. So they go through one test. He's like, hey, anybody that wants to leave can. So like 20,000 men leave. So there's 10,000 men. His army is reduced by like two-thirds. And God's like, mm, you may still win and get the credit. Yeah, we need to cut this number down some. So he goes and he does this test by the water. If one uh, laps like a dog and drinks water, I, mean, I don't, can't make this stuff up. Like he's like, okay, tell them to go down and get water from the river. And if, one of them, if they lap like a dog and drink the water, then, 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 then that will be one group. And if the other ones take water by their hand, and, they, and that's one group. And, and listen, we're gonna, we're gonna, one, when they do this, they, they can't come. And the other one, when they do this, they can come. You know how many was left? 300. 30,000 to 300. God's like, okay, now I get all the credit. They go and win the fight. They go and win the fight. Remember the battle plan of the walls of Jericho. You sang about it a second ago. 
Let us in, or we're going to tear the walls down with our trumpets. This is like Little Red Riding Hood. I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow my trumpet. Right? The whole point is this, is that God wants you. It's, it seems to me, anybody got a better understanding? God desires for his people to be in a place of, where do I go? I'm all alone. What am I going to do? And God's like, okay, good. That's where I was wanting you. Let's go. You're like, I'm in a place of, God hates me. I'm in a place of brokenness. I've come to nothing. God hates me. And the whole time it was a sign of God's love. It was God looking out for you. How many of you are in a trial right now? How many of you are in utter darkness right now? And you're like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And you're like, God hates me right now. God's turned his back on me. And God's like, look, this was the whole purpose. This is where I wanted you to be in brokenness. A broken and contrite spirit I will never cast out. Oh, man. Well, as we wind it down and as as the band comes on up, We've got a little bit more to finish out in Galatians. Um, There's a ton, ton, ton more different avenues I could take. Uh, I didn't even really get into the present Jerusalem and the the Jerusalem that is above. I'll I'll cover a lot of that in Revelation, so I'm not going to touch on it a lot here. But let's just say this, is that things aren't always as they seem. Things aren't always as they seem. We want to read the Old Testament one way, and we want to think about the fleshly people of God, the city of, of, of Jerusalem, the land over there. We want to think of it as this, as this singular physical promise that they were going to get when God said, that was, just a, that was just a picture of the real thing that I had for you. You see, this is one other point that I didn't have here that I, can, that I want to show you. The promises that you feel like you've been promised are so much bigger than you realize. You see, God, he gives us as much as we can handle, and he gives us what he wants to give us, and he shows us what he wants to show us. But all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so when God promised Abraham to go into the land, that he was going to give him the land, we understand that he was going to give him the world, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. There was so much bigger. It was so much bigger. And this, this idea that all of our rewards and our, our, uh, our identity and, and our reward and our, our substance is found here is a lie of Satan. It's a lie of Satan. There are many of you, you're putting your trust in things here. That's why when you lose something or someone comes against you or you fall, then you're torn to pieces. It's because you realize that, you fail to realize that the, the reward is not here. You see, if you're putting your hope in the physical here and now, you're going to find out that all of that's waste, dust, gone with the wind. But he says, but the Jerusalem above, the Jerusalem above, in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 11, it says that Abraham was looking not for the city here, but the city whose foundations were built by God. It says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promises. He's speaking to his audience now. And I would say with Paul to you, now you, brothers, are children of promise. We're not children of the slave. We don't don't operate in works of, of the law in order to secure a relationship with God. We don't operate according to the flesh. You can't make God love you according to the flesh. You can't do enough right stuff to twist God's arm into loving you. But what he said is, is that I have given you birth through a son. My son, Jesus Christ, I have, I, have, I have born you into a heavenly family. It's not about here. It's about what God has done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, your name is written in the book of life that is in heaven with Christ. God is waiting for those times of 
of impossibility to show you the endless possibilities. That brings me to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 that says, My grace, Paul here crying out because he was in such need, this thorn in the flesh, whatever it might be, we're not told. But he's crying out three times he prayed, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, please. This is, this. you can hear his voice. This is agony. I'm in agony here. And, And God says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Praise God. Paul uh, quotes here in verse 27 from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. I'm going to read that scripture, and I'm going to read a little bit more just to show you. And I want you to hear your voice in here. I want you to hear your name in here. It says, single, barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing, cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. You see, Paul says in Galatians, here's why he quotes that. He says, because right now it seems as if the promises of God are failing, right? It seems on this side like the whole world has come against us. Like It seems on this side like the world has, they're the winners. You know, sometimes when you're a Christian, you can't, you can't do some of the things you used to do. And you see, it seems as if God has taken from you instead of giving to you. Am I right? Some of you in this room aren't even Christians yet because you're afraid of what you're going to have to give up. And some of you are uh, you're borderline, but you've never really given yourself to Christ because you want to, you want to partake in some of the things of Christ, but you're not willing to give yourself to Christ completely. You're either one or the other, brother. You're either one or the other. You're either part of the world and an enemy of God, or you're a child of God, prince of the king. Paul here says, right after quoting that verse, I'm going to go back and read a little bit more. He says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, but just as at at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But that... But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. You see, right now it seems like, how many of you have ever got this question or thought it yourself? Why does does all the bad things happen to good people? Well, number one, I would say there's no good people. But, I think I know what people mean by that. They mean, look, I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be obedient to Christ. I'm trying to pour out myself to Christ and not in a works righteousness type of way. I just love Jesus and it seems like the whole world comes against me, right? It seems like the better you do with Jesus, the worse it is in the world, right? Many times. Well, Paul sees that here. You see, he's talking to Galatians who are being persecuted by the Jewish Christians, supposed Jewish Christians, who were saying, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. And Paul says, remember the story of Hagar and Sarah. Remember that. That it seemed as this Ishmael, who was the firstborn son, it seemed as if, as if Ishmael was going to be the one to inherit. It seemed like all the good things were happening to them. It seems like that she was the one that had the child. It seems like all of these things. It seems as if God's promises were frail. But he says, take heart. But just as at the same time he was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted as well. What does this remind you of? Well, it takes me to a place in the scriptures, and this is the last scripture I'll read. It's John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. I want you to check this out. John 18. Verses 18 through 25. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. That is not the scripture. Ah. John 15, I'm sorry. John 15, 18 through 25. Here it is. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about this is still not it (laughs) here it is in in God's timing right 
John 15, 18 to 25. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will also persecute you. If they persecuted me, they would also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Here's the verse. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. You know, I could keep on going, and there's a ton more that I had written. But I'm going to end right here. In the end, though it seems as if God's promises are slow, in the end, though it seems that God's promises are unable to be fulfilled, in the end, we know that God is waiting for the perfect opportune time to do what He has decided to do in fulfilling His promises so that you might know His majesty. And though His promises seem frail, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God never fails. Paul quotes, Paul quotes in Galatians. When he, when he quotes the last one there, he says, Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the sl- son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son with the son of the free woman. He quotes there out of Genesis as well. And what he says is that in the end, it will be proven who are the true children of God. And don't let the things on this earth, no matter what you're going to through, do not let them sway you. Do not let them turn you from what God has for you because God has already fulfilled his promise. in who? Jesus Christ. He says, if the world hated me, it'll hate you. And in John chapter 16, he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. As we stand to our feet, As we stand to our feet, I want to ask you this. Where are you with God? Where are you? Are you trusting in God or are you trusting in yourself? Are you trying to do things your own way in the flesh and wondering why it seems like nothing is working? Turn to Christ today. For he has overcome the world. God's promises are true and they never fail. They never fail. The altar is open for any that would like to respond. If you need repentance, come and repent. Repent where you stand. Repent where you are, wherever. Do business with God. We're going to do this last song of, uh, of worship, and, and I just want to invite you to, to come and, and do what God's called you to do.